Well, we pick up today where you should have left off yesterday in your devotions, Hebrews chapter 1. Today we start Hebrews chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, now remember, whenever you see therefore, refer back to what was just in the last chapter, because there were no chapters and verses when Paul wrote these letters. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, oh, beloved, to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Paul's warning. Warnings. And you need to make a list in your Bible of the warnings, all the bewares, all the be carefuls. But here's another warning, lest we drift away from it. We must pay closer attention to what we've already heard. Now notice, focus must intensify. Focus must intensify. Not on the new things. On the old foundational truths. You wonder why I'm teaching Romans every night during this lockdown. Foundational truths. The gospel. I know it isn't jumping up and down exciting. I know it isn't faddish. I know it's a little tedious. But we must pay closer attention to what we've heard. Closer attention to the gospel truths. Lest we drift away from it. Now, beloved, please hear me. Please hear me. I do not think there are very many people. Now, I may be ignorant, but I think it is very rare that somebody just gets up one morning and just walks away from God. There's a drifting that takes place. There's a drifting. You just slowly drift away. Like taking a a ball and throwing it in the seashore. It just slowly, slowly, slowly drifts out into the deep. Slowly drift away. You know, when pastors screw up what we've always found, they drifted. They were just going through the motions for a while now, but they, they'd stop their devotions. They weren't reading their Bibles and praying. That's how preachers drift away. That's how church members drift away. You pay closer attention to the foundations. Now, Paul said, for the message declared by angels, proved to be reliable, all right? So the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, proved to be reliable. And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, all right? So there's the Old Covenant. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. He said, now listen, if, if under the old covenant, judgment was pronounced upon people who turned away from the old covenant to prove reliable, he said, how do you think we're going to get away with this? How, how do you think if we neglect this great salvation, we're going to get away with it? He said, now, this great salvation, it was first declared by the Lord and attested by those who heard. All right? So, Proved reliable relates to here and here. That was the Old Covenant. This is the New Testament, the New Covenant. 
It's also reliable. It was declared by the Lord and attested to by those of us who heard. Thirdly, God bore witness by signs and wonders, various miracles by gifts of the Spirit distributed according to his will. All right, so thirdly, the new covenant is reliable. Declared by the Lord, attested by those who heard, God bearing witness by signs, wonders, various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Tremendous truth. The new covenant is also reliable. But now let me just back up here for just a minute. Gifts of the Spirit distributed according to his will. Brothers and sisters, you can't manufacture the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestation, the flowing of the gifts of the Spirit. These things are distributed according to his will. And so when people say, well, this is my gift, I'm not sure it quite works that way. I think there are people, and this is a whole study in the gifts of the Spirit based on uh, heteros and allos, another of the same kind, another of a different kind. There are, are types and personalities of people that seem to be more open to different functions of the gifts, but the gifts are always distributed according to his will. Pastor, pray for me. I want the gift of the working of miracles. I, I can't do that. They're distributed according to his will. Now, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. Whoa. Who was it subjected to? Jesus. The angels will not rule the world to come. Jesus will. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him? That's where that song comes from. Or the son of man that you care for him. You made him, Jesus, for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor for a little while. So Jesus in his humanity was made a little lower than the angels. Putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection under him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything. All right, now let's talk about this for a minute. Everything is under the authority of Jesus. Everything. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto Jesus. Not to me, not to you, not to the believers, not to the church, but to Jesus. Everything is in subjection to him. His control. But he said, at present, we don't see everything in subjection to him. We still see Satan, the God of this world. We still see sin. Seasons of darkness reigning. We, we still see sickness and disease. So, so, all right, let's explain that. But we will see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Now notice there's that little while again. Namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it is fitting that he, Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist. Uh, that, that's a wow, all right? That's a wow. Everything exists for Jesus, and everything exists by Jesus. Now, now just get a hold of that. Everything exists for Jesus, and everything exists by Jesus. He is the creator and sustainer of all things, and all things are created for him. In bringing many sons to glory, many sons, not sons and daughters, sons, we're all sons of God. We've been teaching that in Romans. 
should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. <laughs> Jesus is the founder of our salvation. I like that. Made him perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified have one origin. All right, so this is Jesus who sanctifies, and this is us who are sanctified. And we have one origin, and that is the Father. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Oh, I like that. Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. Not brothers and sisters, brothers. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus. Full standing rights. We've been learning that in Hebrew, in Romans. Saying, I will again tell your, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Now, now this is Jesus and this is us. Jesus said, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Now, that's got lots of meanings and a lot of different levels. That is 2,000 years ago. That is now. And that is future. <laughs> but let's just talk about the now for a minute. You wonder why I love church so much? Because Jesus walks among us. He said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Revelation 2 and Revelation Revelation 1, 2, and 3, he walks among the seven golden lampstands. He walks among the local churches. When we gather together, it's, it's different than Zoom. It's, it's different than online. When we gather together, there's a presence that is different. And you have to understand that. But one of the beautiful things he does when he walks among us is not just healing. It's not just what he does to us. He joins us in our worship. He joins us in our praise. Do you realize that? That the Son of God stands among us in the midst of the congregation and sings the praise of the Father with us. And he will do that for all eternity. All right. And again, please don't ask me to explain the Trinity. My brain's not that big. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, Behold, I and the children God has given me, bringing these beautiful quotes from the Old Testament. So Jesus put his trust in the Father. And behold, I and the children God has given me. The Father has given us to Jesus. Do, do you remember when Jesus said, Lord, except for that son of perdition, I've not lost one of the children that you've given to me. I've not lost one of those that you've given to me. Jesus cares for the flock. He's still caring for the flock today. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself partook of the same things. Jesus walked with us. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. So the cross. Equals victory. On the cross, Jesus destroyed the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. <laughs> I love it. And deliver those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. <laughs> no fear of death. Now, now beloved. I... Oh, get my pen to work. Come on. There we go. Let's try again. 
no fear of death. Now, this is a big deal. How did Jesus deliver us from the fear of death? He died and rose again. He proved to us life after death. Now, beloved, please, I want you to be wise. I want you to be safe. I want you to be prudent. Wear your mask, wear your shield, do your hand washing with the alcohol and uh, do your social distancing. Please, no foolishness. But at the same time, no fear. No foolishness and no fear. No foolishness, no fear. That's a guideline to live by. No foolishness, no fear. We're not afraid of death. I mean, what's the worst thing that could happen to us? We're going to blink our eyes and see Jesus? I mean, forgive me, that's not so bad. Now, now don't go out and make it happen before your time. God still has a purpose for you, so no foolishness. But we're not afraid of death because of Jesus. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Remember, we are the children of Abraham. Remember all Paul's teachings in Romans? He helps the offspring of Abraham. Jesus isn't going around assisting the angels. He's assisting us. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of our people. That's a big word, mercy seat. It's the Greek word that's used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, for the mercy seat, so that he might make propitiation for the sins of his people. Jesus came to this world, went through everything that we go through. He got hungry. He had to go to the toilet. He had to eat. Okay, he, he, he sweat. He had to take a bath. He went through everything we went through. He fell down. He scraped his knee. Everything we go through, he hit his hand, thumb with a hammer as he did his carpentry work. Everything we go through, he goes through so that he would be a merciful high priest. See, you can't show mercy unless you've walked in their road. Ah. Mercy requires experience. Mercy requires experience that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest. Mercy requires experience and faithful because he knows there's no hope without him in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. For because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. All right, so temptation is a suffering. And Jesus helps us. While we're being tempted. Now, now sometimes temptation seems so strong in your life. It seems so strong. It's like, I cannot stand up against this pressure. I cannot stand against this. Yes, you can. Jesus helps those who are being tempted. When the temptation feels so strong, sometimes you need a one-word prayer. Help in Jesus' name. Jesus, help me in the time of temptation. 
cry out, Jesus, help me. He's able to help those who are being tempted. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. Testament passage today picks up in Jeremiah chapter 49, verse 1. This week we'll finish Jeremiah, start on Lamentations, which is also written by Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 49, verse 1. Concerning the Ammonites, all right, now who are the Ammonites? These are the descendants of Lot. And youngest daughter. This is that ancestral relationship that happened after the destruction. The Ammonites, thus says the Lord, has Israel no sons? Has he no heir? Why then has Milcom 
disposed God. Now, Milcom is the false god of the Ammonites. And his people settled in its cities. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will cause the battle cry to be heard against Rabbah of the Ammonites. That's one of their cities. It shall become a desolate mound, and its villages shall be burned with fire. Then Israel shall dispossess those who dispossessed him, says the Lord. Wail, O Hishbon, for Ea is laid waste. Again, these are cities. O daughters of Rabbah, put on sackcloth of lament, run to and fro from its hedges. For Milcom shall go into exile with his priests and his officials. Now here, here's this false god. Why do you boast of your valleys, O faithless daughter, who trusted in her treasure, saying, Who will come against me? Behold, I will bring terror upon you, declares the Lord, of, Lord God of hosts, from all who are around you, and you shall be driven out, every man straight before him, with none to gather fugitives. But afterward, I will restore the fortunes of the Ammonites, declares the Lord. Now here's mercy. Now I want you to notice, God didn't just show mercy to the Israelites. God showed mercy to these other nations also. Concerning Edom, now who is Edom? These are the descendants of Esau. Concerning Edom, thus says the Lord of hosts, is wisdom no more in Timon? Has counsel perished from the prudent? Has their wisdom failed? Flee, turn back, dwell in the depths, O inhabitants of Dedan, for I will bring the calamity of Esau upon him, the time when I punish him. If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? If themes came by, came by night, would they not destroy only enough for themselves? But I have stripped Esau bare. I have uncovered his hiding places. He is not able to conceal himself. His children are destroyed. His brothers, his neighbors, he is no more. Leave your fatherless children. I will keep them alive. Let your widows trust in me. Wow. Mercy. But thus says the Lord, if those who did not deserve to drink the cup must drink it, will you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished, but you must drink. For I have sworn by myself, declares the Lord, that Borza shall become a horror, a taunt, a waste, a curse, and all her cities shall be perpetual waste. For I've heard a message from the Lord. All right, here's that source again. And an envoy has been sent among the nations. Gather yourselves together and come against her and rise up for battle. An envoy. Now, who is this envoy? So God sends out an envoy to gather nations to come for battle. For behold, I will make you small among the nations, despised among mankind. The horror you inspire has deceived you. The pride of your heart and the pride of your heart, you will... You who live in the clefts of the rock will hold the height of the hill. Though you make your nest as high as the eagles, I will bring you down from there, declares the Lord. Your horror, the horror you inspire has deceived you and the pride of your heart. Wow. There's a strong thought. Edom has become a horror. Everyone who passes by it will be horrified and will hiss because of all its disasters. When Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring cities were overthrown, says the Lord, 
No man shall dwell there, no one shall sojourn in her. Behold, like a lion coming up from the jungle of the Jordan against the perennial pasture, I will suddenly make him run away from her, and I will appoint over her whomever I choose. For who is like me? Who will summon me? What shepherd can stand before me? Therefore, hear the plan the Lord has made against Edom. All right, so God has a plan against Edom. And the purposes he has formed against the inhabitants of Teman, even the little ones of the flock shall be dragged away. Surely their fall, their fold shall be appalled at their fate. At the sound of their fall, the earth shall tremble. The sound of their cry shall be heard at the Red Sea. Behold, one shall mount up and fly swiftly like an eagle and spread his wings against Borza. And the hearts of the warriors of Edom shall be in that day like the heart of a woman in, death, in birth pangs. Concerning Damascus, now we're talking about Syria. Hamath and Arphad are confounded, for they've heard bad news. They melt in fear, and they are confounded like the sea that cannot be quiet. Damascus has become feeble. She has turned to flee, and panic seized her. Anguish and sorrows have taken hold of her as a woman in labor. How is the famous city not forsaken, the city of my joy? Therefore her young men shall fall in her squares, and all her soldiers shall be destroyed in that day, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will kindle a fire in the wall of Damascus, then it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. Concerning Kedar and the kingdoms of Hazar that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, struck down, thus says the Lord, rise up in advance, in advance against Kedar. Destroy the people of the east. Their tents and their flocks shall be taken, their curtains and their goods, their camels shall be led away from them. Men and women shall cry to them, terror on every side, flee. Wander away, dwell in the depths, O inhabitants of Hazor, declares the Lord. For Nebuchadnezzar, here's this guy again, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has made a plan against you and formed a purpose against you. Rise up, advance against a nation at ease that dwells securely, declares the Lord, that has no gates or bars that dwell alone. Their camels shall become plunder, their herds of livestock a spoil. I will scatter to the wind those who cut the corners of their hair. I will bring their calamity from every side, declares the Lord. Hazor shall be the haunt of jackals, an everlasting waste. No man shall dwell there. No man shall sojourn in her. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning Elam. In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah. Now, who is Elam? Okay, that would be... Lot and oldest daughter. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will break the bow of Elam, the mainstay of their might, and I will bring upon Elam the four winds from the four quarters of the heavens, and I will scatter them to those winds, and there shall be no nation to which those driven out of Elam shall not come. I will terrify Elam before their enemies and before those who seek their life. I will bring disaster upon them. My fierce anger declares the Lord. And I will send the sword after them until I have consumed them. And I will set my throne in Elam and destroy their king and officials, declares the Lord. But in the latter days, I will restore the fortunes of Elam, declares the Lord. Now, one of the things that you see happening in the Great Tribulation is you see the return of the Anamites and the Elamites. And one of the beautiful truths about the Ammonites is when that prophecy from, that Jesus made, I think it's Matthew 24, about fleeing into the desert, and they're fleeing from the Antichrist who wants to kill every last single Jew left alive, they flee to, the Ammon, to Ammon 
and the Ammonites care for the Jews in that time. So we do see mercy mixed with judgment. All right, we'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock, getting right back into the Book of Romans, the Sons of